I just love seeing Chris with my short podium up here. It's like, <laughs> good morning, everyone. My name is Jennifer, as Chris said. Um, I'm honored to be bringing the message this morning. I started coming to this church when I was in youth group, so I went to youth group in the basement here. It's actually where I met my husband, Wilson. He is one of the executive pastors here. Um, I have served on staff for several years, part-time, and um, I serve on the worship team right now about once a month. And I just love this place. This is such a special church. Um, I mean, special, you know, I love it. So, yeah, I'm honored to be here giving the message. And I want to do two things before I get into my message. First, I would love for us to take a few minutes and honor our preaching team here at Vineyard Northwest. So we have five guys. We have Van, Will, Luke, Micah, and Jordan. And just this week, having a message hanging over my head all week has really sucked. And they do that all the time. Um, and I also know that they pour so much energy and time, discussion, prayer, preparation into their messages for our benefit, you know, so that we would be built up. And um, they do such a great job at it. So let's just honor our preaching team. Yeah. The next thing I would love to do is take a moment, not a moment, like five minutes, and pray for the young moms in our church or the moms of young kids. This is just something that God has been burning on my heart lately. So I just, while I have the microphone, I'm just going to take advantage of that. And um, kind of like the, what I see is, you know, when you're on a sports team and it's halftime, you guys go into the lock, we, we go into the locker room. This is kind of like our locker room moment. You know, the game is out there. But this is where the team huddles in. And I see the moms of young kids as that one player who could use a good pep talk, a good slap on the rear before they get back out there, because it can be draining. So if you're a mom of young kids, like middle school or younger, would you stand up? And if you're around them, would you put your hand on them? And if not, just extend your hand to them. And I just want to pray for them. So, Father, motherhood was your design. And I just bless all the moms standing right now. I pray for a fresh filling in Jesus' name of your spirit for the assignment that you have for them. Yeah, I just want to break off lies. I want to break off isolation in Jesus' name. Loneliness, you have no place here. God, I think that you've placed these women in a team, that their role in the kingdom is so vital and so important to you, that it is important work. Even though it's unseen, I bless the work that they're doing. And God, I ask for refreshment in Jesus' name and encouragement to their hearts. And I ask that you would give them fresh, clear vision for their specific assignment and what you want it to look like in this phase of life. Yeah, just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So if you've been around for a few weeks, you know that we were in the book of Matthew, and right now we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this is a very convicting passage, I'll say. It's, uh, I have been getting convicted as I've been preparing this message, so raise your hand if you're ready to be convicted with me. Great, okay, we're good. Um, 
So yeah, this is good. This is Jesus's words, one of his famous teachings in the Bible. So everything that we're reading today is his words. Would you stand with me and we'll read it together as we dive in. This is Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Here we go. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Lord, would you come? Would you just open the scripture to us? I thank you for how you've been speaking to me through this scripture over the last few months. And right now I ask for more. I ask that your word would change us and you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. So what we're reading this morning is set in the context of what Van preached about last week. What Van preached about last week was the passage right before this. And it's Jesus opening up um, this whole topic of the law. And so some of the things that Jesus said was, I do not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. And Van explained how abolishing the law meant like throwing it out, hacking it apart and throwing it out. So Jesus is saying he's not coming to do away and disregard what has happened and what's been in place with the law, but he's coming to fulfill it. And he also says, anyone wishing to enter the kingdom of heaven must be more righteous than the teachers of the law. So he's explaining that the Old Testament has been the Old Testament law has been systematically misunderstood. And so in this passage, he's teaching what the intent of the law always has been. So let's go into it. Um, my, the title of my message is The Way of the New Heart. And what I see Jesus teaching in this passage is He's reframing what righteousness is, because they've understood righteousness to be following the Old Testament law. So the example today that he's talking about is do not murder. But he's taking the idea of righteousness and saying, no, it's bigger than that, it's deeper than that. It starts before you get to homicide, and in your heart, with a righteous heart, that righteous actions flow out of it. So the way of the new heart, that's what we're talking about this morning. And this new heart was prophesied about in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, it reads, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So this is the new heart, having God's law written on our hearts. 
and starting, righteousness starting on the inside versus just an external law. Also Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So this is what we're talking about today. We have six verses, and I see a different thought in each pair of verses. So we're gonna look at it in pairs. So the first pair, the first portion is this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I love Jesus' phrasing, his structure, you have heard it said, but I say to you. This is the first of like six more that are coming after this passage. First of that repetition. You have heard it said, Old Testament law. But I say to you, it's deeper than that. It's more than that. Um, I love this because it's a bold demonstration of his authority. One, over the law, because he's saying, this is how you understand the law, but this is the true intent of the law. And also bold demonstration of his authority to the people. It makes me think of parenting. You know, Jesus is saying, I say to you, it's personal. You've heard it said, but I am saying to you. There's this, um, so I have three kids. Haya is our oldest, she's five. And there's this reoccurring situation that I have with her where the, this passage totally reminds me of it. It's not murder related, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So one of the hardest things with parenting is transitioning. It's, it's funny, Newton's laws are so true in parenting. It's like an object in motion stays in motion and you have to exert a lot of energy to get your kids to transition to something new. Um, so it can be hard. But one of the things that I experience with her a lot is um, we'll be over at my sister's house, you know, playing with the, the kids, they'll be running around. So there's 10 kids between the three of us. So I have two sisters. And um, they're all seven and under. So this is a fun stage of life. Um, oftentimes, it'll be time to leave. You know, we'd been there for a few hours, and all right, it's time to go. So I gotta gear myself up, and I go over to Haya and say, hey, Haya, it's time to go. Come downstairs, put your shoes on, we're gonna get in the van. And so often after I say that, I hear another little voice saying, Haya, God, come upstairs, let's hide. And in that moment, Haya is presented with two authority choices, you know, me or her cousin. And the interesting thing is, if the situation continues, we can observe who Haya chooses as her authority in that moment. If she goes upstairs or if she comes downstairs and listens to me. And I think it's the same way with us. You know, if we look at our lives, if we step back and we observe our lives, who is the apparent authority in our lives? That's part of what the word disciple means. If we're disciples, we are, and we're disciples of Jesus, the way that he models his life and the way that he teaches us is apparent in our lives because we adopt the way that he does things. So as disciples, Jesus' authority is everything to us. So this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's talking to the people and saying, you have heard it said this, but I say to you this. 
And the word he uses for anger in the next part, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. The word anger there is more than just the fleeting feeling of anger, but it's more about a holding on, almost partnering with anger, like a staying angry, a, almost like a grudge, um, a brooding anger, anger that seeks revenge. This is what he's talking about here. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he's comparing their idea of righteousness from do not murder, that's what makes you guilty, to don't be angry with your brother, don't hold on to anger against your brother or sister, that's what makes you guilty. What he's saying is the true intent of do not murder has always been love your neighbor. Let it start in your heart. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. So the word Raka here, it's not even a particularly harsh word. It's not vulgar or not uncommon. But the thing about this word is it has an attitude of contempt attached to it. So it's, Jesus is saying, You've thought of righteousness as this external standard. What I'm saying is righteousness starts on the inside and it works its way out. An inside out righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 is a famous verse that talks about this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So as followers of Jesus, we were given a new heart when we were saved. And this is the design, that our righteousness would be a gift from Jesus starting on the inside and it would be expressed outwardly. Luke 6, 45 is an amazing verse and convicting verse. A good man brings good things out of the goods stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So Jesus is teaching on an inside to out righteousness. He's reframing to the listeners what righteousness means. So that's the first part. This is righteousness, it starts on the inside. The second part, the next two verses are this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So the first thing we have to do when we look at this passage, we love to say it here at this church, what is the therefore therefore? So Jesus, like I said, just reframed and redefined what righteousness means. And then he says, therefore, this is how I want you to behave. This is how, what you need to do and respond. And he says, when you're worshiping at the temple, pause that, and you remember, because you remember that somebody has something against you, go and find them, reconcile, and then come back and finish what you were doing. He has such a priority on reconciling, and even an urgency. And I love that he used this example of temple worship, because what else could we think of that was more important to God? Offer, worshiping him, giving him an offering. So he's saying even that, that I want you to pause because this reconciling with your brother and sister is so important to me and I want you to do it now. 
It's interesting too that he says, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So I've always been used to going to reconcile if I'm feeling offended, because that's easy to recognize. You know, I'm feeling offended, so oh, I probably need to have a conversation with this person. We need to restore our relationship. But Jesus presents it in the more difficult to recognize way. If you remember that someone has something against you, so I have been the offender, I've been the instigator. He wants us to take responsibility even in that situation to go to the person who's offended at us. So I think he's not leaving any room. You know, it's not, well, if they're offended, they're gonna come talk to me, which is what I've told myself before. It's like, well, I just live in my life and if they're offended, but no, if, if I remember that I've offended someone, Jesus wants me to take responsibility for my part in the relationship. And even I think remembering can also be the Holy Spirit reminding us and prompting us to reconcile a relationship. So he's saying, pause your worship or whatever you're doing and reconcile now. There's an emphasis on now, no matter what you're doing. So just a word on reconciling. I love that Jesus didn't say, pause your worship and go apologize, because I think reconciling is bigger than that. What I've learned is restoring relationships, so much of that to me is letting both parties share their experience and their hurt and what's going on on both sides and validating the experience of the other and, that, and connecting on that basis. And then of course, apologizing and owning your part. And almost always, both sides have parts, almost always, even if it's 10%. Another thing I'm learning is my reaction to what someone did wrong, I, if it's a bad reaction, I need to own that and apologize for that. That there's always something that I can apologize for. Even if it's 10%, I'm 100% accountable to God for my 10%. And I like to think that part of living as a living sacrifice is this, living in right relationship. A living sacrifice, true worship, is described in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as a living sacrifice, my whole life is the offering. I don't, offerings and worship is not something that I do. Sacrifice isn't something that I do, but it's something that I am. So everything that I do in my life is worship to God. Everything that I do, like walk over here to get tissue so I can blow my nose. So just one second. <laughs> Did you like that? That little segue? <laughs> Thought of that in the moment. Okay, we're good. So living sacrifice. When I hear the phrase living sacrifice, I think of you know, the Old Testament picture of the, they're going to the temple and there's a burnt offering and it's repeated in the Old Testament that a fragrant smell comes to the Lord and it's pleasing to him. So as living sacrifices, the picture that I have is I am walking around and wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, there's a fragrant offering going up to the Lord. It smells good to him. 
So I think part of living in right relationship is that to the Lord. That when we prioritize living in right relationship, that's an offering to the Lord. And especially now that we know that Jesus teaches, stop what you're doing, go reconcile now, when we're obedient to that. And I remember that there's a broken relationship in my life, and I'm like, well, I know that Jesus told me, stop now and go prioritize reconciliation. When I do it out of obedience, even when I don't want to, especially when I don't want to, it's such a beautiful offering to God. He loves it. In Romans 12, a few verses down later, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. I love that verse, because there's just no excuses for what my part is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So, so far in our passage, Jesus is redefining what sin is, what righteousness is, and that it starts inside. And then he goes on to say, therefore, stop what you're doing, even temple worship, go reconcile now. This is a priority. And then in the last portion, the last two verses, he reiterates this urgency in the last section. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So he uses the word quickly there. Settle matters quickly. He has such an urgency on us reconciling. It's, it's really important to him. And then he adds what happens if we don't. Your adversary may hand you over to the judge, thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So what he's saying is there's a big price to pay if we decide to hold on to anger, if we decide not to let go. And I don't think it, this is a threat from Jesus. I don't think, I mean, you could read this and say, oh, Jesus is the judge, so he's saying, I'll make you pay the last penny. But I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's just telling us the way that it is. And he wants more for us. I think what, the heart of what he's saying is, don't do this to yourself. Don't hold on to anger because it costs you so much of your life. I love this quote by John Mark Comer. Um, he's commenting on how Jesus is teaching in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, raise your hand if you've read Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah, that's from this book. You can buy it out in the atrium if you want after service. But this quote is from this book, and he's talking about Jesus' teaching. So here's what he says. It's a gross mistake to think of Jesus' teachings as some kind of socially conditioned, arbitrary law like the speed limit. Who says it has to be 45 miles per hour? Why not 55? What if I have a brand new Tesla? So that's kind of what I'm talking about is like he's, He's not just being arbitrary and saying, I'm the judge, you're gonna pay, and this is your big sentence that I'm gonna give you. But in reality, Jesus' moral teachings aren't arbitrary at all. They are laws, yes, but moral laws are no different from scientific laws like E equals MC squared or gravity. They are statements about how the world actually works. And if you ignore them, not only do you rupture relationship with God, but you also go against the grain of the universe he created. Cue the splinters. 
He was teaching what's true. Whether we believe him or not is another matter. Um, worship band, you can make your way out. So I believe what Jesus is saying here is choosing to not let go, choosing to keep a place for anger in our lives has a huge cost. One, it creates a stronghold for the enemy like Van was talking about. Little things holding on can become untamed rage and anger that rule our lives and give place to the enemy. And then two, simply living with offense for the rest of our lives is painful. And living with a broken relationship and navigating that in our lives, that's not what Jesus wants for us and that he has so much more. Jesus wants for us to reconcile quickly now because he wants us to live the life that he has for us. And I think this is part of when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, and he offers that to us. I think this is part of accessing his easy yoke, is his teaching of prioritize reconciling your relationships and pause what you're doing and do it now. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that means his way of life is easy and his way of life is light. And so if we're reconciling, then we have freedom to live in. I have this picture of like, if I'm holding on to anger, it's growing inside. And it's almost like a huge piece of furniture that I just have in my heart that's taking up so much space and all I have is this much left, but Jesus wants us to release it and there's freedom for us when we do that. So the way of the new heart is not to be governed by external law, but to live with this righteousness on the inside as a gift from Jesus that he paid for on the cross. And this righteousness comes out. And also, if we've made a mess with our brother and sister, we need to reconcile now, whichever side of the equation we're on. And I'm going to end with this passage. Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Will you stand with me? We're gonna have one song of worship right now. And Lord, I just invite you to speak to us. Just like in the example you gave Jesus, if you want to remind us of a relationship where something's broken, we welcome you to do that. Lord, we want to be living sacrifices. And God, I just give you the act of restoring relationship as an offering because it's pleasing to you. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Yeah. 
to invite the prayer team to come forward and as always they're going to be up here as we close the service for anyone who would like to come receive prayer about anything at all but specifically one thing if you are a parent and you have been struggling with fear about what has been happening in the schools in the recent shooting we would love for you to come get prayer over on this side van and Lori specifically want to pray for parents who are struggling with that fear. So come over here to receive prayer from them about the shootings. And then anything else. Also, if you feel like the Lord is bringing up a relationship where you need to take some steps to reconcile, come up and receive prayer. These people would love to pray for you just for the next step, that God would show you just the next step. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's a big thing that's happened. The Lord can give you just the next simple step. And they would love to encourage you in that. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, 
this is all for you. Living in right relationship ultimately is just all for you. And I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for speaking to us and for showing us what your heart is for us and for our lives. And I just bless everyone in the room in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Come down and receive prayer. If not, we'll see you next week.